Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Short & Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas, and Orange Theory Fitness. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. After Hurricane Katrina nearly destroyed New Orleans in 2005, we were all focused on the same thing, rebuilding the city. And apart from large areas of the Lower Ninth Ward, which still remain uninhabited, we have succeeded beyond what were then most people's wildest dreams. Uh, take housing, for example. After years of blight and abandoned homes being the city's biggest problems, our housing problems today are the exact opposite. Gentrification and an increasing population causing soaring rents. Simone Bruni Cruer has been a part of this process all along. You may know Simone better by her company name, Demo Diva. Like the city itself, Demo Diva has diversified from knocking down buildings to putting them back together again. Demo Diva's sister business is called Reclaim Diva. Simone, it is a pleasure to welcome you back to Out to Lunch. Yes, I'm glad to be back again. It's rare, you know, to come back twice. You have to <laughs> invent a whole other company. <laughs> they, uh, Jonathan Light is the director of the New Orleans office of a New York property development company with a community building mission. The company is called Alembic Community Development. Under Jonathan's leadership, the company has brought us Bayou Treme Center for Arts and Education on Bayou Road, the Dryads Public Market on Aretha Castle Haley Boulevard, and the Donald Harrison Senior Cultural Arts Museum in the Upper Ninth Ward. Jonathan, welcome out to lunch. It's great to be there, Peter. Thank you. Simone, um, one of the hardest lessons to learn when you have a startup business that works is how to handle success. We hear stories about how entrepreneurs who are good at lean and mean small businesses are unprepared for what happens when they find themselves with a fleet of trucks, a big payroll, competition, and conditions that change from how things were when they started out. You seem to have managed this by diversifying in a number of ways, including moving from demolition into salvaging, milling, and selling wood. When you got into demolition, you actually didn't know anything about it. What's the difference been in launching Reclaim Diva now that you're a seasoned business person compared to launching Demo Diva? What mistakes did you make back then that you have made sure not to repeat? That's a great question. Reclaim Diva actually saved the life of Demo Diva. Ah. Three years ago, June 1st, um, I hit a cash flow crunch. I found myself really um, scrambling that May and June, and a this bid had come up. It was a 100-year-old school in Lakeview. It was all wood. Oh, I know this. The Lakeview yeah. School. And I had bid on it three times and lost the bid. But um, as blessings happened, the man who I sold my wood to said the demolition business is a commodity business. We're selling bricks, wood, copper, anything we can scrap. And so the man I would sell my reclaimed lumber to suddenly died and his mill became available. There was a two week window before Lakeview School was going to start. I, I scrambled and ran over to the man who won the contract and I said, 
give me this job and I will pay you $40,000 not to touch the school. And that is how I got into Reclaim Diva. And uh, I dismantled that. It was my first time dismantling something of that. It was, 40, it was a 36,000 square foot uh, building, all antique heart pine. And I then proceeded to truck it over to my new purchased wood mill <laughs> and thus reclaimed Eva. Jonathan, your company, Alembic, is in a space that a number of New Orleans property developers inhabit. It's usually described as public-private development. A private company takes advantage of public initiatives like tax credits or incentive zones to develop a property that the community needs, and it's a win-win for everybody. When Alembic expanded from New York to New Orleans in 2007, it was the beginning of the post-Katrina boom. There was vast potential here for all kinds of development, including the public-private model. Today, we're at the point where New Orleanians could become a victim of their own success. If gentrification hasn't already irreversibly changed the face of New Orleans, it's at the crossroads of doing so. What does Alembic see as the current and future path of community development that will continue your work of benefiting the core New Orleans community? It's a great question. Um, and investment, gentrification means a lot of different things. It's a very loaded term. Um, at its core, it means investment, but then it also means displacement. And so what we focus on is in the investment piece um, in order to benefit communities and people who are currently in those neighborhoods and have been in New Orleans case for generations. There's absolutely an example, examples everywhere of investment that does lead to displacement. Um, that is not what we practice, um, and I, th I would say that's true for certainly some other developers here Frankly, in the city. Frankly, what you're doing is a lot harder. Uh, it is a lot harder, and so really what we see is real estate development as a means to an end. Um, the bricks and mortar and historic buildings in particular, which is what we focus on in New Orleans, are critical assets in all neighborhoods throughout the city and throughout many cities. Um, what's important in neighborhoods is not just the built environment, though. It's the people. Um, and that's what we really focus on. So we restore these historic buildings and bring them back in new ways in order to serve and bring amenities to these neighborhoods that are often underserved and underinvested um, for those people. So, for example, by redeveloping the old Myrtle Bank School on O.C. Haley Boulevard, um, we did not bring in a high-end grocery store. By any means, we helped actually create the Drives Public Market. I was going to say, that's um, the place most people have, have seen, and it is all local folks in there, right? Absolutely. So not only is it economic development through the job creation, but its real focus is on creating an affordable grocery store that serves Central City. We hope that people from throughout the city come, and they do, and we love that. Um, at its heart, though, at its core, and its business plan, it's about serving Central City with a grocery store. Where do you, your investors come from? I mean, where does the, this they, takes money to do this. Yeah, there's a whole cottage industry of, of what's called tax credit investors. So as you say, there, there are incentives to do this work. Um, I actually, I, I teach as an adjunct at, at Tulane's Master of Sustainable Real Estate Development Program, and the first thing we teach students is that in order to get something, you have to give something. So in order to get public incentives, you give up control of your project, you give up the ability to do whatever you want. Um, we think that's a positive. That's what we're looking to do. We're looking to provide community benefit through our work. Um, so there are large banks, there are institutional investors, there are others who work in the space of investing in these tax credits that really enable um, good community development projects to happen. Right now we're working on a job in the French Quarter that is also an investor incentive project for tax credits. And just to salvage 12 antique pine boards, we are having to spend an exorbitant amount of time and the change order to the customer, but the tax incentive for them that they will save this wood is there. 
Now, for me, I didn't have that incentive prior to owning my own wood mill because of the labor that goes into salvaging. What I'd like to see in the future is that incentive to come down to the small business, not just the investor. You know, where the small business demolition company or a recycle company has an incentive in their taxes to say, to to prove what are you recycling and not taking to the landfill. Because now that I'm in the the antique pine business it uh, it absolutely sickens me to know what we're throwing away we're throwing away 300 year old wood that cannot be replaced you have a physical space do people come in and shop i do i have my warehouse is in um jefferson it's right under the huep Uh, it's not so much a retail spot as much as it's by appointment only but yeah we we have uh doors windows and a lot of beams (laughs) (laughs) is there a way john to um this is a level of gentrification that everybody feels comfortable with, and then there's something going over the line. Uh, do you see it in a city? Because this isn't, isn't the only place you've worked. Uh, I guess everybody has sort of faced the same thing in some way. Neighborhoods and communities and cities change everywhere all the time. What happened in New Orleans was cataclysmic, right? And we're, we know that the city is down about 100,000 African Americans from pre-storm. Um, what happened with Katrina and the levee failure was very much, um, it was very tinged racially, it was very changed by social economics. Um, we know that the city is down still total population, but that particularly hit the African American community here in the city um, and continues to this day. That's what's different about the gentrification and the ch- neighborhood change, city change here in New Orleans than I think other places. Um, a San Francisco, a New York, a Detroit, um, those have been pretty severe and significant, those have happened over Gradual, longer periods right, yeah. of time um, than what New Orleans, when New Orleans we had an event, um, and so that changed very much. Um, you know, gentrification, we talked about how it's about, um, can be displacement, investment, et cetera, but ultimately I think what people react to and are correct in reacting to, it's about cultural change. And when you see new people coming in and they don't look like you, they're not from here, when you see new businesses coming in that are turning over the old businesses that you always went to growing yeah. up or just as a grown up, um, we should all be uncomfortable with that. That is, the, the, that's the kind of change that we're trying to pretend, pre- uh, prevent. We're trying to protect those existing small businesses, the existing corridors in our city, and then add in additional amenities and services that are really for those people. John, let me ask a kind of brave question. What about the fact that you're a white guy from out of town? I yeah. mean, uh, how have you, um, has there been some uh, backlash or did, were you always accepted or how does it work? Uh, no, I didn't go to high school here. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so well, at least the, you know that. You don't even get the first question right, right? A, I do not get the first question right. I, I have two daughters born here. I have a house here. And I'm not going anywhere. Um, no, I mean, it's always... It's always my, my previous career... Uh, I'm actually an urban planner by training. Um, and my previous career was in international development. Um, and I, when I first moved here in 2006 and 2007, uh, the people I met said, you know, forget about your planning degree. Because right, planners all over the country were coming here and... You we all know the green dot and all the catastrophes they had. So forget about your plan career. It's your international development background that will really help you in New Orleans. Um, I've always kind of been in other going to places um, and meeting new people and building trust and relationships. It doesn't happen a day. It doesn't happen in a year. Sometimes it doesn't happen in a couple of years. Um, but we very much, we're doers and we believe in kind of doing what we say. And we've been able to deliver on, on a lot of that. And so I think that's what begins to kind of change that. Um, I will always be a white guy going to low-income um, communities of color. Um, that's the work. That's where we work. Um, 
but over time we build relationships and trust um, that really can, it's, it's about being a human being, um, and that's what we're looking for, and people get a sense of that. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with John Light from Alembic Community Development and Simone Bruni Cruer, better known as Demo Diva. Simone, we talk about the, your new business with the, uh, with the mill and all that, but that's not all you've done. You've moved out from your original spot. Like One of the things that really grabbed me was the fact that you're doing like smoke and water restoration damage. Uh, they, we think of as big companies like ServPro and ServiceMaster. How do you get started in somewhere where with there's already some established people? Yeah, we have. I just went and got certified in that. What had what happened was we were tearing out all of the mildew and the carpets, and we were doing the demolition, but we didn't have the certification to dry, and so uh, we went and we're now licensed to dry out buildings, and uh, we had a lot of customers that were calling us. So yes, we've added that to our hat, but in um, you know I think that going back to what. John was saying about the city being organic, you know, I call us urban exfoliators because a city really (laughs) is a a living organism. And just like a body that has to slough off the old and shed the, you know, shed the old for make way for the new, that is what a city demolition company does. And that's what small businesses do. Um, You know, it's not no longer. And I'm not sure, John, if your wife is also integrated into the working community of New Orleans, but it is no longer a one income household. Both husband and wife have to be working or both, you know, both people in the household have to work. And you not only I've learned over the last 12 years of having Demo Diva, the first five years was a luxury. I got all the low hanging fruit of demolition. But then I looked around and I was like, wait, my competitors all do something else. They all do demolition and pile driving, demolition and plumbing, demolition. There's always, there's another thing to what they're doing. And I realized I had to start adding to that. So I added dumpsters. I added, you know, reclaimed lumber. But I've added this restoration work. And I think that that's what makes for a healthy business. And whatever it is that we're doing, you have to be adding different facets to what you do to keep the public interested. Right. But also to keep things healthy. Now, Simone and and Jonathan, this is the part of the show we call another great idea. Uh, Maybe you've got a friend like this, someone who's always got a great idea for you. They tell you about this job you should apply for, that guy you should have a cup of coffee with, or a great investment opportunity you should jump on. Now, you can take advice like this, and it turns out to be a disaster. You can dismiss this advice and miss out on something that may have turned out really great, or you can take your friend's advice, and it turns out to be the best thing that ever happened to you. Do you have an example in your life or career of a friend who had a great idea for you? Did you take their advice and how did it turn out? Uh, Jonathan, we'll start with you. All right, I'm going to pull from my personal life um, because I'll get in big trouble if I don't share this one. <laughs> um, so my, my best friend is someone I've known since I was about three or four in friends our whole lives. Um, and I was living in New York in my, in my young 20s. Uh, and he's he's a character um, and one of the things that defines him is that uh, he's a very friendly guy and he remained friends with all his (laughs) ex-girlfriends God bless him yeah absolutely (laughs) to the point where when we hung out with his new girlfriends the ex-girlfriends would show up at parties and other things and always kind of be around which you know could create some uncomfortable situations is this a gun control story that you're working on here (laughs) I I will get to a punchline Um, so uh, and no one will get punched Um, (laughs) I was you know, naturally kind of friendly with him also. So in our, in our young 20s, um, he had a birthday party, and uh, one of his ex-girlfriends said, you know, John, my cousin just moved here. You should really go out with her. 
I'm like, eh, Robin, you know, I'm not a blind date kind of guy. You know, I'm in my 20s. I'm in New York. I'm happy, you know, doing my thing. She's like, okay, okay, I won't push too much. You know, a couple months later, see her again. John, you know, Jennifer, she, she moved here. You should really just, just give it a shot. What do you have to lose, right? Take an opportunity. I was like, Robin, you're beating me down. You're beating me down. Okay, fine. Give her my number. So anyway, we end up uh, having a conversation. It was fine. Um, but again, I have Robin's voice in my head saying, why not? Just kind of have, have, have a date. So we go on a date. Um, it lasts strangely about three to four hours, which was pr pretty long. I was working for a nonprofit at the time, and I think I spent an entire week's salary that, that <laughs> evening, which was not strategic, especially because, frankly, there were no sparks. Like, we, we, didn't, we weren't feeling it, and she wasn't either. Um, the date ends. Robin calls her and says, Jennifer, you know, how'd you like John? Uh, and she's like, yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't, there was nothing really there. And she's like, you got to call him and thank him. So Jennifer was from the South, from, from Charleston. She's like, you got to call and thank him. All right, I'll call and thank him. Calls and thanks me. I think felt compelled to say, well, I guess if you want to go out again, we could go out again. And I think I felt compelled to say, eh, okay, I guess so. <laughs> anyway, 17 years later, we're married. Oh, two kids. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, very, very happy that I took that advice of just, you have nothing to lose. Go, go out on a date. <laughs> That's Which is interesting great. because one That's of my great. ideas for NPR is to have a, an NPR dating service that nobody <laughs> seems to take me up on. It's, um, <laughs> Simone, what about yourself? Well, my life changed. It was about 5, 5.30 a.m. in Starbucks one morning. And I would see this particular older gentleman. He was in his late 70s. And... I thought he was homeless, frankly. And I'd see him, I'm like, what is this man? You know, it's every morning he sits in this, in this uh, Starbucks. He turned out to be one of my best friends and confidants. And he was a retired uh, construction owner. And we happened to be at the counter one morning. And, and so the guy at the counter was writing on my cup, Demo Diva. And so he said, are you the Demo Diva? with a real husky voice. And I said, hey, is that your husband? I said, no, it's me. And he reached over and gave me the biggest hug. He said, I always wanted it. He said, he said, I'm so proud of you. He became my best friend for three years. In this process, he lost his voice. He had throat cancer. We met every morning for the last two years of his life and we talked um, via a writing board. And he gave me my best advice. And I, in this business, I don't have many friends, and I certainly have no confidants. And he, is, he was my only confidant, other than my husband. But he told me the advice he gave me was act like a woman, but think like a man. Whoa. Whoa. And, and so that is, you know, he said, be a lady, but keep the emotions out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so his name was OJ, and he has since departed. But uh, he grew up very poor here in New Orleans in the Irish Channel. And his stories inspired me. And just he really told me and showed me how to be a fighter. And you, I appreciated those years. It's funny because, you know, so many people work very hard on creating an advisory committee. You just went in for a latte. Yeah. It was hard. You know, it's hard. And in this, in this business, there's, I don't fish, hunt, golf, or play poker. So I don't know how to connect with men. <laughs> I don't have, I mean, it's very hard to make male friends. They don't want to go for manicures and pedicures. <laughs> so I met OJ for coffee. <laughs> that was his name, OJ. Boy, both these stories really worked out. <laughs> Normally, most of us try to avoid talking in cliches, but 
sometimes they contain the essence of truth and even some wisdom, like the example of the cliche, the one constant is change. Uh, dealing with change in business means being able to deal with the demands of the present and foresee how your actions today are going to influence the future. Simone and Jonathan, you're both in positions that demand a keen sense of what's going on and what is coming up in your own business and in the city itself. For both of you, the development of the city has an influence on your business, but your business also has an influence on the development of the city. Simone, it has been great to catch up with you again, and Jonathan, it's been great to meet you. Uh, thank you both for taking the time thank today. You. Jeremy for Out to Lunch. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Thank you. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Simone Bruni Cruer, the founder and owner of Demo Diva Demolition and Reclaim Diva, and Jonathan Light, director of the New Orleans Office of Alembic Community Development. You can find out more about Simone's and Jonathan's businesses by following the links on our website, itsneworleans.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. And today's show is engineered by Thomas and Curran Walsh. Our researcher is Maggie Mendel. You can listen to this show and to past episodes of Out to Lunch wherever you get podcasts and at itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and It's New Orleans' Facebook page. The photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business, New Orleans style, on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday to Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music, and dinner seven nights a week. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitchell's music is available wherever great jazz is sold or streamed and at mitchellforeman.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. And by Shewart & Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas, and Orange Theory Fitness. Thank you.